Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Bar Humbug, a podcast about the cuddliest of all movie genres, the Christmas movie. My name is Helen O'Hara and I'll be your ho-ho host, I'm sorry, uh, for this Christmas season. (laughs) Start as you mean to go on, start as you mean to go on. Today, of course, we are going to be talking about Debbie Allen's Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, new this year on Netflix, and we're going to be doing so in contrast to the 1947 classic It's a Wonderful Life from Frank Capra. Will this new contender soon be joining the ranks of Christmas classics, or will it be swept away like last year's wrapping paper? Well, with me to talk about it are two of the world's greatest Christmas movie experts, women who can tell the contents of a cracker at 50 paces and accurately gauge a person's favourite Christmas carol just by looking at them. So first, I'm delighted to welcome broadcaster and journalist Kat Brown, a writer for, gosh, Empire, The Telegraph, The Times, Stylist, you name it, and owner of the world's orneriest cats. Hello, Kat. Hello, I've been singing Oh Holy Night for approximately three weeks in preparation. I've learned nothing from it, but I've had a lovely time. They do say Oh Holy Night in this film, so that's very, very apposite. <laughs> I think that works. And uh, with us is another one of my favourite people, Kathy Cullen from the Great Cinemile podcast, which, if you haven't heard it, is the best walk home from a cinema ever. Hi, Kathy. how are you doing? Hello, I'm good. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. All the better, of course for being here to talk about these two films. But before we begin, let's get your sort of calibration on Christmas movies. What is your attitude to Christmas movies in general? Are you an elf or more of a Grinch? Um, Well, Helen, I have already launched into the festive season by watching my Ur Christmas film, which is the Queen Latifah LL Cool J vehicle last holiday. I don't think I saw this film uh, until for the first time until a few years ago. And my life has just been so much the richer since, you know, a a wrong, a wrong forecast of terminal illness, uh, a sensible, slightly downtrodden woman throwing in her awful career and her premium bonds and everything and going to a random giant hotel with a kitchen run by Gerard Depardieu to basically swan around in gowns for the last three weeks of her life. Except obviously she was never dying and everything <gasps> ends very happily. Hurrah! <laughs> God, a Christmas miracle! <laughs> it's so good. I love that movie as well. It's so, so good. That is the Grand Hotel Pup, actually, where they also filmed Casino Royale. So that, Queen Latifah knows. hotel? Mm-hmm. Same hotel. They called it Pup. 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 I, I assume it means something really like stylish in, I think, Hungarian. I don't know. God. But yeah, we should go. 
when we're rich, yes, which may be a while. I- imminently, I'm sure. <laughs> Imminent, any minute now. We could win that lottery rollover. Who knows? <laughs> Kathy, how about you? Are you a Christmas movies person? I am. I love Christmas movies. Uh, I tend to wait until the 1st of December. This year I have broken that by watching Dolly Parton's mm. Christmas on the Square, <laughs> uh, which I was very pleased to do because it's been a tough year and Christmas needs to come early. But I I love Christmas movies. I don't tend to watch them all month. I'll pick a couple and then mm. I'll cycle through every couple of years. So I will never watch the same Christmas movie like back to back year to year. But I need to watch mm. this movie you speak of because I have never seen or heard of it. Oh my God, you'll love it. It's so good. So much food, so many frocks. <gasps> so, so much base jumping. Yeah, also that. There's not enough base jumping in many Christmas Most festive movies. Of sports, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, and are there any unique Christmas traditions in your houses that we should know about? Like, I don't know what if there's a normal, but what's tradition in your house? Like, for a few years in my house, it's been traditional to watch Tucker and Dale versus Evil, uh, which is a <laughs> horror comedy that just makes my mum laugh like you've never heard. So, you know, it's an odd Christmas tradition, but it works for us. How about you guys? Any foods that you've got to have? Any any elements to your Christmas that have to be there? Um, so a few years ago at a farmer's market in Oval, which is the most middle class sentence I'll probably say today, um, <laughs> I found this amazing company called the Pished Fish, who basically make really gorgeous booze infused smoked salmon, which again is a sentence I literally need three runs up to say. Um <laughs> So whatever I'm eating, I will always try and get some of that in, along with whatever teeny tiny little mince pies I find in London's finest supermarkets. And then basically just exist on a diet of uh, uh, lovely, probably quite expensive fish and tiny mince pies until uh, either Christmas comes or I die of rickets, whichever comes first. I mean, what a way to go, though. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My mum, who's a regular guest on our podcast, a couple of years ago took she took a, a while off work and went on this like retreat to Mexico for months. And wow. she like stayed in an ashram and like volunteered there. She was like cleaning the pools. She was like, she was like the bellboy for this ashram and she got to stay there for free. <laughs> and as part of that, she stayed there for Christmas and had this big like Mexican food Christmas. And ever since in our family, when we're together, you know, around Christmas Eve, we'll do like a Mexican night, which is quite funny Amazing. for a load of Irish people. <laughs> Uh, so we do Mexican night with my mom and yeah mainly then it involves like we don't eat meat so right. we like annoy whoever we're staying with for Christmas because they'll have to like make us a nut roast <laughs> um and watching the Late Late Toy Show I would have said oh. except it was on last night and I didn't it was bother. on last night yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that- spoiler we're, rec- we're, we're recording this on the 28th um the Late Late Toy Show is an Irish tradition it is an absolute mainstay happens about a month before Christmas. It's always about this time of year, isn't it? And basically, uh, one of the late night chat shows is taken over by children uh, who explain how all the toys work to adults, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. And every so often, the host will announce that there's one for each and every member of the audience, and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I I was wildly jealous that I never got to go on it as a kid. Like, I just, I watched every year and I would have been like, oh my God, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Yeah. Like oh. full free toys for a year. But no, I haven't watched it this year yet, but we'll watch it, I think, today with our kid, which would be quite fun. Except I don't want him to want any of the toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, no, we're going to watch them. this son, and that doesn't mean you're getting them. Yeah. None of them. <laughs> right, so, I mean, we, we've got to actually get into these films because I feel like there's um, there's a lot to talk about. So first of all, for anyone who hasn't seen it, well, maybe avoid spoilers for a few minutes, but really, you're probably best off going and watching these films and then coming back because we will we will talk about stuff that happens in the plot. 
to the extent that that matters. Uh, Christmas on the Square, for those who have yet to have the pleasure, is the story of a businesswoman, Regina Fuller, who's played by the great Christine Baranski, who comes home to her small town just before Christmas to evict everyone, raise it to the ground and build a mall in its place. This meets, understandably, with some opposition, not least from her guardian angel, who is called Angel, and who is played by Dolly Parton. And the big question is, will Regina learn the meaning of Christmas and come to her senses? I have decided to compare and contrast this with It's a Wonderful Life from 1947 for reasons that will become very, very clear as we talk. But It's a Wonderful Life is, of course, the life story of George Bailey, who's played by Jimmy Stewart, the the Christine Baranski of his day. Um, And we see his entire life story as he basically gives up on his own dreams one by one and forms a life in time that he's content with most of the time until something goes horribly wrong and he faces utter ruin and he considers throwing it all away. And so an angel called Clarence comes down from above to convince him that life is worth living by showing him the nightmare scenario of what would happen if he had never lived. So basically, my reasoning was angels. That was pretty much where I was coming from with this. And I did go back and forth because there are other Christmas movies, of course, with angels. And I know that Kat, you're a big, big fan of one of them, The Bishop's Wife, which is a fantastic movie as well. Amen. But but this one literally references It's a Wonderful Life twice in dialogue or lyrics. And so I was like, well, I'm sorry. It's going to have to be It's a Wonderful Life. Like there's no, there's no argument there. So um, let's start with Christmas on the Square. What did you think? It's a, it's a lot, this film. It is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, and yet it's somehow not very much at all, which I found <laughs> deeply strange. I haven't been this excited about a film since the last time I got wildly excited about a Christmas film, which, to be fair, was probably yesterday. There's, there's a really good crop of new films this year, and we're, it's a bit of a treat. Um, I watched this with in a sort of very lockdown way, which was basically having a phone call running with one of my Dolly Parton loving mates at the same time as watching it. And we got very, very excited because obviously it's directed by Debbie Allen of fame, fame and Grey's Anatomy fame. She's directed, she starred in Grey's Anatomy. Uh, she's a strong director. Not that you would know this necessarily from Christmas on the Square, um, and simultaneously, I, I ended up looking through the IMDb listing to see who was involved. Um, yes, Dolly Parton inevitably has her own costume designer, but the costume designer for everybody else has also worked on Girls Trip and has some really good credits. Oh, but wow. the costumes here are really amazingly, distractingly awful. And it sounds weird that I'm sort of going in first with like a mention of the costumes, but it's because this entire film, it sort of feels as though the names of the people in charge are there, but maybe nobody actually turned up to e.g. be the producer or Mm. be the director and that they just left it to some people who are perhaps, I don't know, colourblind, incapable of dealing with textiles. Maybe the only costumes were available from like the world's worst charity shop. And Mm. it, yeah, completely bewildering. But there's, there's a lot of plaid. There's a lot of things that don't match. And I had an absolutely amazing time watching it, uh, but <laughs> it is utterly bewildering. And uh, yeah, I'm very interested to see what Kathy has to say about it. Uh, well, I like really got myself in the mood in terms of like made mince pies, like made oh, a hot whiskey, like the whole thing, <laughs> sat down really excited, expecting it to be bad because I'd seen the trailer and um 
And I was so excited for the trailer. I first saw it on Helen's Twitter feed, actually. Um, and it made my night when I saw that trailer. But it was it was what I expected it to be in that it is naff and it's cheesy. What uh, what surprised me was, as you've referenced, the, the poor production values. Mm-hmm. I, I was And I was surprised. I'm getting the negatives out of the way first because I have a lot yeah. of positives. I was surprised at the quality of the music. I expected a lot more from Dolly, I have to say. But putting all that aside because I just decided to go on the journey I had so much fun with it I I felt like very happy watching it which as we know is a rare feeling in 2020 mm-hmm. I, I but I kept thinking am I enjoying this or am I laughing at this and then I kept mm. th- no I'm enjoying it I am en- I'm along for the ride and it ended up touching on some some deeper elements that I wasn't expecting with Christine Baranski she's wonderful I loved her and Dolly but like it is a bit you know it is a bit like Scrooge. Uh, it is a bit oh, yeah. like it's derivative of a lot of things, but I really enjoyed it. And I actually think it had, it had some important things to say, albeit wrapped up in this weird, cheap soundstage bubble. Like Netflix have a lot of money. <laughs> Netflix have too much mm-hmm. money to warrant a production of this low level. And that's what surprised me, the production levels. Yeah, there's a lot of snow in this film. And I don't understand why Christian, the amazingly named pastor, but why his <laughs> wife, is, who is, you know, trying to get pregnant, is stuck in those incredibly impractical stiletto-heeled pumps. <laughs> which does not feel warm or safe in this mm. kind of wintry environment. I read up on her for some reason. I don't know why, but I, I was I was convinced I'd seen her in something before and I was I was trying to figure out where it was. And I she is apparently a debutante. She was a big Southern debutante. Uh, she turned down a chance to go to the International Debutante Ball, which Ooh. is a thing apparently, in order to go and study at like RADA or somewhere and says her granny still hasn't forgiven her. So maybe like she is the kind of, you know, Elle Woods in Legally Blonde kind of person who just wears stilettos because, you know, it's that's the only kind of shoe she has. I mean, that's the only explanation I can come up with. You know, there's got to be something. It makes no sense. None of it makes sense. No. And it's interesting you say that, actually, that she went to Arada or equivalent, because not to be too snarky, but the the quality of acting in this movie is questionable. Uh, aside from Christine Baranski um, oh, yeah. and, and her kind of, and, and Dolly's like apprentice angel, mm-hmm. who is in Grey's Anatomy. Uh, some of the acting is very questionable and soap opera-y. So, yeah, I'm surprised to hear that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think some of it is really just mystifyingly bad. Like, uh, you know, again, I looked up Pastor Christian and and the actor has a career, so he must be capable of good work. <laughs> uh, he didn't necessarily showcase his very best abilities in this film, but it, it must exist, right? I, uh, I don't Somewhere. know. I think the only person that really comes out of this with any degree of dignity at all is Jennifer Lewis, mm. who basically, I think, just decides to completely ignore the film that everybody else has decided <laughs> that they're in, completely refuse to wear any of the costumes or the makeup, none of which is suited to the colouring or style of any of the people here, and just basically sing incredibly. Did we know mm. Jennifer Lewis could sing? The pipes on I that know, woman. Good grief. Yeah. She outthinks Dolly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she, I think, is the only one who gets away with it. Even arguably Christine Baranski, who I adore and was mm. really hoping for a bit more of her old 90s Sybil, Dr. Dick sort of evil <laughs> style here. But I was completely distracted by the sheer awfulness of her wig, which randomly gained sentience and highlights and different cuts <laughs> throughout the film, um, with or without a visit to Jennifer Lewis's hairdresser. 
I never yeah. noticed her wig. Never noticed it. <laughs> Once you notice it, it, you can never you unsee can... it. But did you think with Dr. Christian that, or not Dr. Christian, Christian. Pastor Christian. Pastor Christian, sorry. <laughs> he, he was like a villain from a soap opera, the way he spoke. He's like, I am the pastor. Mm. And it was really ominous. Uh, and agree, well, Helen, so... I also IMDb'd him thinking he must be from like Days of Our Lives or something. Yeah. No, he's from Legitimate Things. Yeah, he's done. He's a legitimate. I, I thought, you know, maybe he was hired for dancing ability or something like that. And, you know, he was he was kind of maybe more Broadway style. But, but no, no, he, he's done actual movie work as well. He's an example of what of the sheer importance. And I've joked about this before, but mm. but seriously, the importance of good makeup and good costume for mm. getting people in character, because Pastor Christian sports a tan the like of which I have not seen on screen since <laughs> I used to watch El Dorado on Channel 5. And he's also in this uh, this sort of awful zipped up crew top mm. ensemble that you literally only see on the back pages of those little catalogues you get in the slightly elderly yeah, the leaning newspapers. Of, yeah, exactly. the ones that fall out of yeah, old lady newspapers. Absolutely, yeah. But did you think his goatee was like a direct reference to his slightly villainous father when we go to <laughs> who the father was? <laughs> That's it. it I think it must be hereditary. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to get into spoilers now because I have to talk about that scene because oh my god. <laughs> so, uh I mean, this is a this is a film where the dialogue is extremely on the nose. I mean, Jennifer Lewis at one point says to uh, Christine Baranski something along the lines of even though we're friends who have grown up together. <laughs> who says that? Cat, even though we're friends who have known each other since you came to Empire 12 years ago or whatever it was like that's not a thing that people say in casual conversation I mean, to one another to be honest even the first time that I saw you after months of not seeing you in the flesh in lockdown I didn't go thank god it's Helen O'Hara great friend of mine bridesmaid at my wedding thank god and sort of wave around trees and everything but I mean that said the idea that anybody would go and cut Christine Baranski's god-awful wig um, when she's just announced that she's making everybody pack up their homes at Christmas because she's I mean, vlogging it to become cheat em all which actually is a pun that took me 45 minutes to actually get being <laughs> chronically slow on the uptake but yeah no not happening yeah, at all no, doesn't make any sense by the way Jennifer Lewis's uh, character name we should mention is Marjoline Marjoline wonderful Marjoline I, mean, I can't stop saying it I've watched a lot of Southern films because Southern films about generations of women are one of my absolute favourite comfort genres. Never come across Marjolaine, not even in Southern books. I mean, can you imagine growing up with that name? (laughs) And growing up with your supposed best friend who is then going to evict you on Christmas Eve from both your business (laughs) and your home and you'll still go and cut her hair. Like I found the whole dynamic very odd. I like that she went to try and sort Christine Baranski out and say, listen, you shouldn't be evicting everyone. Your wig's awful. I'm going to try and fix it. <laughs> and then she left and didn't fix the hair. But it just rang so hollow. Like, like I feel like, not to talk too much about um, A Christmas Carol, because that's not what we're comparing no, no. it to, but in A Christmas Carol, like I really believe that Scrooge is that awful. In mm. this movie, it, it didn't make sense to me at any point that Christine Baranski was evicting her best friend from her business, who's also, I believe, the town mayor from her town. It just, it didn't, it rang untrue. And I felt mm. like they should have done a bit of heavier lifting at the beginning of the movie to make Christine Baranski feel a bit more evil, because really she's just someone who's pissed off at her dad and has yeah. daddy issues. And, and she does say, oh, I'm giving you all a good deal. You know, you'll, you're getting, you know, she, she, there's, there's an attempt to make her feel like she's doing something right by everybody, but like, it's so half-hearted and so buried and doesn't acute, just, you know, doesn't 
account for the fact that she's still evicting them on Christmas Eve. Oh, exactly. Come on. 24 hours notice. Like, that's not, that's not, that's not cool, guys. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. I do want to talk about the the sort of, the, I don't know if we can call it a twist, but the revelation in the film that the reason that Christine Baranski is so scroogey is because <laughs> she was going out with young Treat Williams and they were all loved up, but she wasn't allowed to go to dances until she finally was. And then she sees him with another girl with a ring. And instead of asking him, her boyfriend who she's in love with, hey, what's up with that? She immediately goes off and dances with a guy who I think is meant to be sexy and who I find terrifying. <laughs> um, and then yada, 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 Seinfeld style, they have sex, she gets pregnant, and then she is basically hidden away from the world until she can have the baby, give it up for adoption. And spoiler, <laughs> the baby turns out to be Pastor Christian. And the reason she knows this is because her dad writes his name in the family Bible and it's written in a Bible, so it must be true, which is this, which is a lovely thought. But This all sort of also ties into her dad's obsession with lamplighting, um, <laughs> which is such a weird Victorian thing. Um, there's no sort mm. of mention of her mum or literally any other family members because apparently they aren't required and we'll get onto the script writing a little bit later because there's lots to say about that but uh, but it's the fact that her dad is supposed to be like a really good guy and yet he obviously never teaches his daughter anything about the birds and the bees or the fact that if you do slow dance with a guy who is also doing interpretive dance at a Christmas disco that way pregnancy lies Christine Baranski um but yeah the fact that he sort of sorts it all out and gets rid of the baby, but also appears to give it away to somebody who lives about three doors down. This mm. is strange to me. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> or or at all, really. Well, one of the things I did want to ask about that was because when I was desperately trying to find somebody who I could pin the blame on for this astonishingly strange film, mm. I kept coming back to um, Maria S. Schlatter, who wrote the screenplay, um, who appears to have no credits at anywhere at all and who and this is the key thing i think wrote the stage production that this is drawn from mm. because uh, i couldn't this, find I, any record of that ever being produced no, no i probably, only give it a quick google been. but it probably <laughs> hadn't been but there are elements of this that i think do chime with the much 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 better netflix film jingle jangle which again mm. was also originally supposed to be a broadway show and that is very telling because that film is half an hour too long and involves lots of Broadway things that would work brilliantly on stage and don't necessarily so well on screen. But that's the thing. In On stage, sometimes if you play things big enough, you can get away with having a backstory that is essentially scribbled on the back of an envelope, which this film very much is. But 
but again, in in a film, you need to somehow flesh that out a little bit, mm. or as you say, stick the bits together with plasticine just to go. We'll give her one more friend, or one more relative, or just something to make this all sort of make sense. Well, it's funny because I thought the baby plot mm-hmm. was actually like profoundly moving because. Um, I spent a lot of time this summer listening to Dolly Parton's America, the podcast, mm. and um, they they delve into a lot of her back catalogue, which I wasn't very familiar with. And actually, a recurring theme in Dolly's early work and songwriting was uh, the, like women and what's done to women by men. And it, and like one of her very early songs is a very dark one called The Bridge. And it's about a woman, a young woman who's, who sleeps with somebody. She gets pregnant and she ends up throwing herself off a bridge Um and like there's a lot of stuff around women's like babies being taken away from them and women being persecuted because of their sexuality. So for me, this was like an actual theme in Dolly's work. And it's also something that like up until the early 80s, at least, was was genuinely happening in mm-hmm. Ireland that people's children are being taken away from them. Yeah, true. So it, that part of the story to me was the most compelling. And I actually got really upset when I was watching it. And and that went some way to to fleshing Christine Bransky's character out, albeit mm. it was absolutely ludicrous how they did it. But then that's such an interesting plot, but it's wasted in this movie because it's then shoehorned <laughs> into this Bible lamp thing. What I did like was because Dolly Parton's all about forgiveness and that's what, like, what she always preaches. And I, I liked that this movie, Christine Bransky hates her dad so much because of what he did, which I 100% agree with. But Dolly Parton, the angel, tries to show the other side where she says, look, he thought he was he thought it was the right thing for you. Mm. So albeit it's flawed what he did, he was coming at it from a, a like an ill information. Yeah. yeah. And I, I kind of like all that. Mm. But none of that actually made any sense in the context of her owning a town, kicking everyone out of the town. So, yeah, I, I didn't really know what to make of it other than it did affect me. But I agree it, it didn't really work in the movie. I was really excited in the first 15 minutes when we'd had a really good dance routine and then there was what looked like a sort of infertility slash IVF storyline <laughs> with the pastor and his wife. Although uh, the poor wife is also sort of given this subplot where she feels like she's got no self-esteem and that she's letting him down, which to mm. be fair is also a big trope in infertility, but is also just in this case, just an example of you know, bad character development. Yeah. But again, like like Kathy was saying, this storyline again was completely wasted because spoiler at the end, the angel points her uh Kira Kira Snapchat filter hands at the wife's <laughs> tummy and, you know, chimes and come and then it's like, oh my God, that's how IVF works. Well done, everybody. Mm. Um but it, it, again it, it it is so odd because as as Kathy says quite rightly, like Dolly Parton has done incredible work both in her song and in her personal life to make or if if not to make life better for people then to reflect the realities that many 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 people go through and she did a brilliant episode of Brené Brené Brown's podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago in which it became abundantly clear that her sort of real persona if you like is actually very quiet very mm. faith driven not necessarily sort of religious in the sort of, you know, going to church and dancing around in robes sort of thing. Although, my God, go back and check out Joyful Noise from 2012. Um, But it's very much about doing the good work and looking after the people in trouble. And there are sort of elements of that in this film. But then Mm. there's also a big scene in the church 
when all these God-fearing folk run around inside the church saying how awful Christine Baranski's character is and how she deserves to be burnt alive for a witch. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I don't think I've seen this in any of the Southern films, but yes. Yeah, it's weird that, isn't it? Because... Right. So, I mean, that's, a, you know, that's a catchier song, although I had kind of no idea what they meant by the Wicked Witch of the Middle. And it took me quite a long time to figure out, OK, it's like it's a contrast to the Witch of the East and the Witch of the West. There's also a Witch of the Middle, I guess, kind of. I mean, it would maybe help if you built up more of a Wizard of Oz thing before doing that. But, <laughs> yeah, OK, fine. Um, but I think it was it was weird because I feel like Debbie Allen, the director, does a disservice to Debbie Allen, the choreographer, in, in that and other scenes, because it's very hard to have a lot of choreography going in when everyone's sitting in pews, which they are for two big dance routines in this film, <laughs> uh, which is bizarre. And then even the opening dance number where they're in the square, I just felt like it was shot quite badly. I thought the dancing was good, although there were weird like Christmas trees popping up out of nowhere, which I didn't really understand. But like the, the dancing is really impressive, but like it would be framed slightly off to one side or just slightly, uh, you know, happening in the background where something non-interesting was happening in the foreground it was a little bit bizarre to me but I mean you know it's 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 a it's a it's a weird film but then we haven't even talked about the angels yet because of course <laughs> we open the film with Dolly Parton in quote-unquote homeless mode uh she's wearing sort of a gray fur and a perfect smoky eye and um, and begging for change, which I think might have a double meaning, you see. You know, well, very clever. Those, and those eyelashes are doing double time because they basically <laughs> act as extended hands. I mean, yeah, she could really probably do. carry several several pounds worth of money in those eyelashes. It's just, <laughs> just amazing. She is incredible. But, um, but she does turn out to be Baranski's guardian angel and comes to her while she's going through potential brain tumour fears. This, I mean, this is all connecting back to Last Holiday, Cat. if you think about mm. it. It's it's once again, there's a shadow on the MRI. Oh my goodness, does she have terminal brain cancer? Or do they Who just knows? need to clean the machine? Or do yeah. they just need to clean the machine? Um, it does give Christine Baranski one of the very good lines in the film. There are not very many, but she really delivers. I knew that brain tumours were deadly. I had no idea they were so obnoxious because she thinks that she thinks that Dolly might be a symptom a sort of hallucination uh, produced by this which in fairness that that does actually seem plausible this yeah like true. she's sitting on a cloud in her living room <laughs> in her living room also really enjoying Christine Baranski's doctor telling her off for driving erratically when she appears to be driving at one mile an hour <laughs> around they the did... tiny square mm. exactly not a big set no not not a very big set and also, Christine Baranski supposedly came from the big city and like arrived that morning. Why is she getting medical advice from like the town GP of this? Like, <laughs> presumably she's evicting him as well. So it just all doesn't add up any of it. Um, it's ridiculous. It's like the more you deep dive into the plot, the more it unravels. You're saying we should probably just skim the surface, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, and let's not forget, of course, that her personal assistant, who was so badly drawn that I can't even remember what her name was, who then turns out to be a trainee angel, a la Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and literally they reference Clarence. And literally there's another line somewhere, I think it's sung, where she says, your life isn't wonderful and you're not George Bailey. Yeah. Um, so they're really tying it in, like specifically Clarence is basically Dolly's boss in this, mm -hmm. right? He's oh, I kind of a, that. yeah, he's kind oh, of I the senior that. angel. She says something oh. about I'll tell Clarence. 
<laughs> so, so bad. It's like, it's like when you're trying to reference other movies within your movie because you know you don't hold up on your own. Like it's just embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Although the irony that they just at no time sort of really seem to reference Scrooge or Scrooge-like behaviour when mm. she is just like the absolute cast iron example of Scrooge-like behaviour. Well, we did have a tiny Tim. We had the little girl. Of course, um, that's yes. true. It's almost the like girl maybe... with bizarre amounts of blood all over her dad's arms, which didn't feel suited to a U-rated Christmas film. But there we go. And um, can I quickly tell you guys my what I thought the movie was going to do with that little girl? Yeah, and please. it was way better than what happened. So I <laughs> thought when we found out Christine Bransky had had a kid, and we we're like trying to put together who could it be, I was like, it has to be either Pastor Christian or his wife because they're the only two people we know. Or <laughs> I think it's going to be that little girl's mom. Oh, and then Christine Bransky realizes that she, by virtue of evicting a pharmacist who's three days behind on his rent, um killed her own daughter <gasps> while she was trying to save her daughter Christine Bransky would have to live with that forever that she murdered her own daughter and then that young child would have to forgive her and it would have been really profound and then I was so excited for this to happen and then no it was Pastor Christian all along I love wow. that idea that's so that much was better. better right, right. I not least because the timelines and the age would work out so much better. Because mm, yeah. how old is And this also pastor? it would have meant something where Pastor Christian meant nothing. Like yesterday you're talking about burning her on a griddle and now she, you're happy she's your mother. Yeah, and suddenly <laughs> everybody's like, oh, thank God it's Regina, who we definitely don't hate and definitely didn't sing around the church on Christmas Eve wishing we could burn her alive. <laughs> <laughs> that makes perfect, perfect sense. I, I mean, let's talk about the little girl. I think it was Violet. Um, so uh, the car accident, I have I had real problems with this. This tripped up my sister and she literally just couldn't stop laughing because they, they had this car accident when they're on their way to the cemetery so she could leave flowers on her mother's grave like we do every Christmas. That's definitely cool. the amount of explanation you give people in those circumstances for a start. <laughs> but also the dad emerges from the car accident and he's just got one sleeve of his T-shirt slit open and that's like <laughs> i don't understand how that literally happens in a car accident he's just got like one rip on 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 his shoulder in a way that makes no sense to me but i'm sure there's a really it happens if you're that good looking and you're that muscular <laughs> you need to show off <laughs> he's the best actor in the movie he's the best singer in the movie <laughs> like they needed him to have this moment in the bed which he did which was incredible but also I was like really dark of Dolly the Angel mm. she seemed to have engineered that this child would be in a car crash just to teach Christine Bransky a lesson that was really dark but that was pretty terrible. I do also I, li I like this sort of mental image that I have of Debbie Allen who again was in and directed Grey's Anatomy uh, for several episodes sort of putting her hand up and going guys I've got some I've learned some stuff from that series and I'm going to step aside, Debbie <laughs> Allen. We want this guy to show off at least one bicep. There will be blood. There will be so much blood, even though we're not quite sure where it comes from. Mm. But there will and be blood. And we're not quite sure what her injury was because it's dangerous enough to be life-threatening, but not dangerous enough that she's out of hospital five minutes after completing treatment for it. So <laughs> it's 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 an, it's a very, very specific kind of injury uh, that the poor, poor little Violet has suffered. But did Dolly, did Dolly cure the girl with her sparkles or did the paediatric neurosurgeon that they flew in cure her? Because that wasn't clear to me. I think that was one for science. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. But, but I, loads of cash. Yeah, but I think that Dolly's in, inspired maybe Regina to bring in the neuropediatrician. Right. 
pedia I don't know what they're called. That that. <laughs> I, again, we may be overthinking. <laughs> we, we're certainly giving this film more thought than than anyone involved seems to have done. <laughs> and we haven't even mentioned Treat Williams, um, who oh, is. God. Plan. Regina's love interest in the most undercooked love story I think I've seen in any of these films. And again, to go back to these, I mean, inexplicably awful costumes, but in his sort of like big <laughs> number at the beginning when he's in his general store that far from actually being a general store seems to purely exist to sell like tatty ice skates from circa 1934 <laughs> and old sleighs. This entire general store, um, which presumably is not like Christmas themed, is basically painted red, which clashes horribly with this absolutely revolting burgundy plaid shirt that he's got on, which he later tra trades for an equally disgusting tweed blazer. Um, but again, singing, uh, like, Treat Williams, did you not go on a date since you left high school? Um, <laughs> why are you still ridiculous. thinking about your true love when she's obviously turned into an absolute rampaging monster who again is evicting <laughs> the entire town, including you? Get some self-esteem. Yeah, and, and and he just has that one line in the big final song where he goes, I'll be a grandpa if I have my way. And you're like, I'm sorry, where did that come from? <laughs> and like, you were together 40 years ago and from what we can derive from this plot, you didn't even have sex and you're still hung up on her. Like, it's utterly bizarre. Like, they're too old to be framing a high school prom as the last time either of them felt love. Yes. It didn't work for me. And especially given that, like, the pastor is how old? Is he supposed to be 25, 30, 40? Because, I mean, Treat Williams, yeah. Williams and Christine Baranski are significantly older than than is sort of believable oh, yeah, good point. for her having had so, so that he, kid. Okay, let, let's be charitable. Let's see, he's, he's 35. <laughs> 35 plus 18 would mean they're both 53. Lol. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's not quite right, is it? Yeah. Her wig is mm. not playing that hard. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so let's let's wrap this up a little bit because I do want to talk about it's a wonderful life as well. So rating this film on its Christmassiness, like where do you think it scores there? Out of let's say five, score for Christmassiness. Oh. I don't think it's very Christmassy because even though it's set at Christmas, it doesn't have a lot of. Like, it doesn't visually really look like Christmas. It doesn't have Christmas music in it because it's original mm. music. And it, it, yes, it has themes of forgiveness and immaculate conception. Um, <laughs> yes. so and an I angel. And an, yeah, maybe give it a two or three out of five. All right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I need more Christmas spirit from mine and I just can't get over the congregation being such absolute monsters. Um, <laughs> although that said, in terms of uh, something else I do want from my Christmas films is good reaction gifts. And there is one moment to right towards the end of the film when uh, Regina is introduced by the pastor. She is obviously now completely reformed and therefore wearing a white dress. And this guy on the right-hand side of the church wearing a red and white striped jumper turns around with such a ridiculous <gasps> expression that I actually <laughs> I actually got my friend to stop watching it so that I could rewind it six times and then film it <laughs> to try and turn it into a gif because uh, that is extraordinary. So I'm afraid on Christmasiness, this only gets like at most two and that's, mm. yeah, but it's just horrible. Yeah, yeah, I might, I might, yeah, no, you're right. It's not even a three. It's, it, I think it's going to be a two for me as well. I, it's just, I, you know, I didn't hate the music. I thought Everybody Needs an Angel was actually kind of a banger. Mm -hmm. um, there's some, there's a couple of great lyrics. I think Dolly at her best is one of the best lyricists out there. You mm -hmm. know, there's a line about, 
I think it's angels fly because they take themselves lightly. That's a lovely oh, line. It's beautiful, yeah. 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 So she she has like really, really beautiful bits in it. But yeah, overall, I don't think it's his her best work musically. Um, and then <laughs> I think I know the answer to this one. Objective quality. How would we rate this film? Well, we haven't even discussed the Scottish parable of the lamplighter, Helen. And so <laughs> oh, I forgot. On the on the sheer I don't know what the hell is going on because there is there are no Scottish parables in the Bible. Um uh, then purely on on that, obviously I have to give it a one. <laughs> yes, it it would have scored higher, but then it mentioned Scotland. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think objective if I take away my love of Dolly, it would be a one on quality. I mean it's yeah. it's cheap as chips this movie i think they spent all the money just paying dolly mm. and, yeah, and, that and was her it. costume designer yeah. <laughs> yes for the rhinestones the need to stitch those rhinestones on yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i did enjoy uh, christine baranski's continual contempt for rhinestones she's wrong for the record my, my wardrobe has a lot of rhinestones i love them <laughs> but um but it was at least funny that she kept kind of poking dolly that way that was good this is true yeah, that was i good. do just i do just wish somebody had paid like 500 dollars for somebody to come in and just ensure that everybody was wearing makeup that actually suited their coloring <laughs> and like yeah. warm shoes mm. But I so, think, yeah, so, Helen, if you did an enjoyment scale, I'd be four out of five for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I enjoyed yeah. it, but I think I was laughing at, not with, a lot yeah. of the time. So, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk then about It's a Wonderful Life, because I feel like, well, what's interesting to me, okay, and I said this on Twitter, but I'm going to repeat myself. What's interesting to me about Christmas on the Square is that it seems to be going for all of the Christmas movie tropes at once. It's got the... Um, Scrooge Christmas Carol kind of redo thing which a lot of them do it's got the business person moving to a small town and rediscovering the value of uh, rediscovering what's important in life thing and it also kind of has or tries to have the again person moving to a small town and falling in love with somebody wearing a lot of plaid um (laughs) so it kind of tries to do all of those but it also adds in the angel element and this is a rarer Christmas movie trope and it pretty much all comes from it's a Wonderful Life, it seems to me, which is the kind of granddaddy of the genre. And I didn't realise when asking you both to to compare these two movies that, Kat, you didn't like It's a Wonderful Life. So I had my own Christmas joyful epiphany, for which I must <laughs> thank you, uh, Dolly Parton slash Helen O'Hara, which is that I had always uh, had in, in me the knowledge that I absolutely loathed It's a Wonderful Life because I thought it was one of the most deeply upsetting cruel, miserable things that I'd ever seen. Um, And rather crucially, whilst watching it this time, I realised this was because in my teenage years, I had only seen the last half of It's a Wonderful Life. (laughs) I had not seen the entire film, which which explains quite a lot. Mm. Um, But also, my God, this is a this is a long film. My husband and I split it over a couple of nights and that worked very well for us. But I'm delighted to say that I have completely revisited my loathing of It's a Wonderful Life because that fairly crucial opening sort of hour and a half in which we <laughs> learn about George Bailey and him actually being a nice person and not just living in a miserable place in a, with a horrible life is fairly crucial. And also, <laughs> you know, so I mean, arguably Christy, Christmas on the Square is sort of like only having that last half of It's Mm. a Wonderful Life because we never see anything remotely redeemable about Christine Baranski. Yeah, she's kind of the Mr. Potter role rather than the George Bailey role. And and that's kind of a crucial difference. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Cathy? Are you a fan? Is it one of your ones on rotation? 
It actually only saw for the first time. I had to research back in my own podcast to figure out when it was. <laughs> um, it was 2016. Um, oh, wow. I had never seen it. And turns out neither had my husband. And it was on in the Rio Cinema in Dalston. And, and at the time, I realized why I hadn't seen it was I kind of wasn't sure if I liked it either because I had seen it parodied so much. And I'd seen the oh. ending just like you, Kat. So I kept okay, I've seen The Simpsons doing it. I've seen movies taking the piss out of it. I've seen the ending, so I know what happened. So exactly like you, I was particularly uninterested in it. Went and sat in the cinema, which was a lovely way to watch it, because as you say, it's a very long movie. And it was like this, it was like the week before Christmas and it was just the best way to see it. So I recommend if you ever have it in a cinema, go and see it in the cinema. And yeah, I loved it as well. But crucially, because the first half, we we see everything that George has done to help people and he's really at the end of the movie it's truly believable that if he hadn't lived like you know the town could have been awful mm. whereas with in this movie in in Christmas in the Square of Christine Bransky it's awful but if she hadn't been there the only difference is that we wouldn't have passed a Christian which is no bad thing <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah I I'm a really big fan of It's a Wonderful Life uh, I think it's it's like it's a, such a deserved classic it's wonderful it's it's incomparable in terms of quality and resonance to christmas on the square absolutely the and the clothes oh god oh my god i just slavered over all of them it was it's so funny actually kathy that you talk about the parodies because as we saw the sign for bedford falls i just got flashbacks to episodes <laughs> and book adaptations of Red Dwarf, where Lister yep. goes and lives in Bedford Falls for a while. And again, because my only knowledge of it was from that last hour, I was like, Lister, you moron, why are you going to live in that miserable place? <laughs> um, but the other thing was, again, because I'm very, very fond, as I think you are, Helen, of um, Little Shop of Horrors. And of yeah. course, there's that song, Somewhere That's Green, in which... Um, she sings about and I'd look like Donna Reed mm. and Donna Reed of course plays um Mary what's her name? Mary Bailey that's it in this beautiful mm. uh, absolutely gorgeous but also crucially she has a personality and a character mm. and interest which arguably nobody in Christmas on the Square has got <laughs> yeah that's yeah. that's that's kind of sadly true I mean yeah she's she's actually pretty cool like she first of all she decides she's going to marry George Bailey at the age of eight approximately um sticks to that but along the way also goes to college you know learns how to rebuild old houses she's basically one of those instagram accounts we all follow of sort of somebody fixing up a a beaten down old house um and is incredibly active in the town as well it's it's sort of i think the thing about it's a wonderful life like it's it's really interesting in terms of like coming out straight after world war ii being all about this kind of communal spirit, this kind of working together, you know, sacrificing for the greater good, all these kind of really traditional values, but they're done kind of lightly. There's enough kind of humor in it and enough kind of heart in it that you don't feel it's too preachy. Well, apparently audiences at the time didn't, it didn't actually do that well at the time, but, but now it just feels kind of warm and cozy and, and encouraging in that stuff. To, I think, yes, once we get to the end. But I think one of the things that I found most difficult to watch was were all the scenes in which uh, George ends up having to spend money on trying to appease members of the town. Yeah. And I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there, that it is very much about community spirit, but that two people or one person cannot run the community. Mm. The whole community needs to dig in and help. So it can't just be 
you know, George Bailey and his wife building houses for the town or using their honeymoon fund to sort of stop their bank going bust. Mm. It does need that investment from all those people. And actually, as I watched him standing by the Christmas tree, holding his kid, just looking and sort of disbelief, but also just looking so relieved because he was mm. like, obviously through this film, we've seen how how much he's sacrificed to sort of keep other people's projects and other people's legacies going. And I, this time I sort of looked at his face and I saw that as him going, okay, now is when I get my legacy. Mm. And when his mm-hmm. brother was like, you are the richest man in town, there was an oh, element don't, I'll start of like, oh, about bloody time, because <laughs> God knows I've done enough to sort of keep Bedford Falls going and people should, you know, flipping well pay me back. <laughs> no, this sort is it. I find... in a more charitable Christmassy way. See, the reason I never realised that you hadn't, not hadn't seen the first half when we when we've talked about this film in the past is when you said the first half is depressing I kind of agree with you because you know him giving up one dream after another after another he he gives up his trip to Europe and then he gives up his college and then he gives up his honeymoon and like it's one thing after another and that is really really upsetting I mean there's again there's lots of fun and loveliness and great people in that first hour or so as well but it is really really a series of these huge sacrifices. Um, so I just figured, yeah, I mean, that's fair. It's, it is it is a lot of sacrificing. I can see why Kat finds it really depressing. I never, it never occurred to me you just hadn't seen that bit. I, but I think the, the thing actually from watching it this time was that the real difference is in George Bailey's mindset, mm. because yes, he does make these decisions, but he makes these decisions. He could still have gone off on his holiday. He could still have just gone, you know what, I'm going to college. But he decides that he's going to do this and then he throws himself into it full pelt. It is just that when it gets to the sort of, you know, middle of the film, he's he's run out of gas there's he's beyond running on empty and then losing that eight thousand dollars and going god that was my idiot uncle that lost it what a moron i'm keeping everything running i think uh, that that would probably be a sentiment that's very familiar to a lot of people during lockdown as well it's just you know you can keep cheerful you can be resilient and everything but after a while if you don't get a win Mm. that is when you start really just going what is the bloody point? Who is having a laugh? What yeah. What the hell is happening? And even the jolliest soul will just be like, I just give up. No. And I think mm. that's done really effectively with George. Mm. Yeah, I think it, it's like almost like a big metaphor for 2020 when you rewatch yeah. it now. Because we've all, like you talk about all the things George gave up and like, you know, in 2020, the amount of things any yep. one person will have given up this year Um mm-hmm. Like one of the things I've found really odd about 2020 is like the absence of something to look forward to, whatever mm-hmm. that may be for you, whether it's seeing your family, it might be a wedding that somebody cancelled, it might be a holiday, it might be whatever it is. And they're the trivial things because I know people have been ill and it's been much worse for people. But like watching that, you can really like, I, I felt more than ever I could actually picture myself in George Bailey's shoes this time yeah. around watching it. And and like, I'm a really naturally optimistic person. And sometimes this year I've just been like, Fuck, I can't talk to somebody today because if they're depressed, I have nothing to give them. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll only take, this will not be a good conversation. And I really empathize with George this this time watching it more than I did the first time. Um, I 100% agree. It is such a 2012, 2020 film. I mean, it just, just this, and again, the sense of all being in it together, and and sometimes the frustration that that has, you know, it's like, well, I'm wearing my mask and I'm staying home. And why the hell is that dude going out and doing whatever he's doing? Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know, it's there is that kind of sense of 
you're trying to do your best you're trying to do as much as you can and still things are not going right and sometimes you're just like oh my god and then imagine if uncle bankrupt us at the end of it <laughs> we'd be so pissed the only thing about the the scenes with his uncle is I know I can't get the John Mulaney uh, routine about that out of my head. If you guys have seen Kid Gorgeous, also on Netflix, um, he he does a little bit about George Bailey basically swearing at his uncle. So now all I can hear is George is John Mulaney's voice in my head during that scene, just going, "Where's the money? Where's the money, you old fuck?" and sort of slapping him around. Which of course George Bailey doesn't do because he you know didn't swear because production code was in force at the time but you know it's it still it's not in my head and that's but that's when he me. lost it at his kid and he like really shouts oh his kid yeah his kid, i'm like like i was locked down with two kids this year you know there was times when i was not proud of how i parented and and, and a lot of people have been in that situation like i had a newborn baby had a toddler god we're in a house all day together and my toddlers watch a lot more tv than i ever thought a toddler should watch this year and you know like I've not been the best mother and like honestly you can really feel it and I think it's it's there's a there's a resonance and it's funny you talk about it after it was after World War II Mm. and we've all been through what our wartime conditions this year fiscally and physically and lots of other reasons and uh yeah it's I find it very profound I I, it's why this movie is a classic and Mm. uh it's why Christmas on the Square probably won't be a classic <laughs> <laughs> it depends how many wines you've had i think christmas on the square do you know what i mean yeah <laughs> i mean enough. i actually would watch it again for the record i would watch christmas on the square again <laughs> for sure but this I, movie is something spe- it's something special there's a reason everyone bows down to it yeah the, this is our family christmas eve movie this is like christmas has officially started when we watch this oh that's Everybody. so nice that's yeah every year Pretty much every year, yeah. It'll be on. And it's so long, you can eat so many Terry's chocolate oranges during it as well. (laughs) Which is key. That is a key metric of Christmas movie success. You're so right. (laughs) Yeah, and mince pies for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something Mm -hmm. I really valued about this film, going back to our conversation about production values, amazing use of snow throughout, mm. um, both as sort mm. of like underlining as, you know, painting Bedford Falls is really beautiful, but then also something that if you just put the right sound effect in is actually really threatening and horrible. Mm. And we particularly see that, I think, when he's walking back through Potterville and I suppose looking looking at it now through 2020s eyes, you're like, oh, a diamond dance. Well, that, that sounds quite lovely and everything. But it is just the sense of menace mm. that goes through it. And then him sort of, you know, reaching his taxi driver friend and being so relieved. And then the taxi driver just basically treating him like any other insane mm. drunk and taking him to the house and everything. And it's just, yeah, it's just, I think, just so, so beautifully done, mm. basically just by just changing that mood ever so slightly it's so subtle and it is so effective it's so true mm-hmm. i would like to point out at this point at my sister's behest she is a librarian she would like me to say that the you know it is not the case that the worst thing an unmarried woman can be is a librarian <laughs> in her 30s <laughs> and that that, that that particular element of potterville is perhaps unfair to librarians yeah and that is the bit of the movie that annoyed me because she, as we said she's such an accomplished woman like she's mm. incredible whether or not she met George Bailey I think she would have been just fine I think George Bailey if he hadn't met her wouldn't have been fine Amen. but I there's a scene about very earlier on in the movie when we kind of they're at this dance together and kind of like encaptures their attitude their early attitude to life where like somebody messes with the floor and they fall into the swimming pool and instead of admitting defeat they like continue to dance really joyously in the swimming pool and I'm like that's George that's like me in January of this year I would have been dancing in the swimming pool <laughs> me in December of this 
here, I would have been like, fuck it, I'm out of here. And I, I just really love that George and Mary in that scene, I think that like captures them as a couple and like the joy they have for life. And for some reason, I like got really upset watching that scene. I just found it so touching that that's how positive they were and, and to know what the years are going to do to him. Mm. Um, and like, I just, every scene means something in this movie, even something that looks silly like that at the beginning and looks like it's just for a bit of a spectacle on screen. Yeah. It's really meaningful. It's also a a really well juggled ensemble cast. I feel like it, you know, everybody has a little bit to do. I mean, Bert and Ernie and the Muppets are named after this Bert and Ernie and they're barely bit parts, but they make (laughs) enough of a, of an impact, you know, to become Muppets. I mean, there's no higher praise. They depict (laughs) friendship really, really well in Mm. this film. And and again, I think the thing that is really emotional about George and Mary is that they are, if not necessarily soulmates, they are just really, really good friends who have a lovely time together. And I quite like that Mary is a spinster in the Potterville version because it suggests that everybody in the Potterville version is such an asshat that she wouldn't <laughs> deign to marry any of them, oh, that's which good. seemed remarkably sensible. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that also made me quite, quite emotional because... You know, we haven't really seen that much of our soulmates and best friends and that mm. sort of thing this year at all. And yeah, you can chat on WhatsApp and everything, but it's, it's just that odd thing of going through so, so many months without having that sort of shorthand that comes from seeing the people that really matter to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except on screen, got- Helen. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're all going to have a group hug after this is over, but let, let's wrap it up. So for this one, Christmasiness, score out of five, please. Five. I mean, it's five. <laughs> it's unquestionably a five. It ends on all Lang Syne around a Christmas tree. Yeah, it's hard I to argue say, with that. Yeah. I would go five. How about you, Kat? I would say between three and four, because obviously okay. loads of it is not set at Christmas, but I'm That's sure fair. somebody could do a YouTube cut like the Julia <laughs> cut of Julia and Julia. <laughs> Amen. And objective quality. Five. It's a five star for me. Four for me because it's far too long and I it literally just, I yeah, I just need a shorter <laughs> film. But that's that's literally me. And I have ADHD and I will use that as an excuse. <laughs> well, normally oh I hate long movies, but it's funny. This one, I well, A, because I saw it in the cinema, which helps, but B, because mm. you really, I felt like you really pay off the first hour and a half at the end. For me, for yeah. once, the length is justified. I, yeah. I agree with that because I think that's the thing, isn't it? A lot of the parodies that you see, you just see the end and it's cloying and it's over the top and it's too much. Whereas yeah. in It's a Wonderful Life itself, they absolutely earn that ending with all of this self-sacrifice, all of this trauma, all of this despair. You know, you need that much. It's like portals, okay? Because uh, everything comes back to Avengers. It's, <laughs> it's like you earn the moment where all the heroes turn up because yeah. you've killed off half the universe beforehand. So it kind of, you know. <laughs> That's the yes. thing. And I think this worked better for me thinking about it almost like a TV series. And I've basically just had to stop watching his dark materials because I'm so furious and annoyed and frustrated by all the extra random old tap that they've put in it to pad it out. But actually every single extra bit that is in It's a Wonderful Life completely earns its place. And as you say, that payoff at the end even though you do kind of want to go and shout at every townsfolk person and go, stop randomly taking out $200 for God's sake. Um, 242. Oh my God. 
Yeah, it's not a bank. Like it's it's some sort of co-optive credit union scenario yeah. where people just get money. Exactly. And that one guy, oh, with his two hundred forty-two dollars. Oh, whereas her with seventeen fifty, <laughs> I was here for. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, anyway, that might be a little bit of a deep dive there, uh, which will only make sense to people who've seen it about sixty-four times. <laughs> Well, listen, uh, that that about wraps it up. I think we have a clear winner this year. But again, if you have had enough wines, you may <laughs> very much enjoy Christmas on the square. And we still love Dolly. So thank you, Cathy, for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. And lovely to meet you, Kat. <laughs> and thanks to Kat as well. Merry Christmas, Cathy and Helen. What an absolute joy. Well, half of it. and uh, do please rejoin us for the next one for more Christmas fun next time on Bar Humbug ho ho happy Christmas oh oh my god I I just I'm still working on the outro I don't know If you've enjoyed listening to Bar Humbug, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts because it really helps other people find the show. You can also subscribe so you automatically get the rest of this podcast lined up hassle-free and it's only going to be a limited run up to Christmas. It won't be using up all your data. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can pre-order my book, Women vs. Hollywood, The Fall and Rise of Women in Film, which comes out in February 2021. You can also, of course, find me in Empire Magazine, which is the world's best film magazine for my money. And I'm on the Empire podcast every week and host the podcast His Darker Materials to coincide with BBC HBO drama His Dark Materials. If you'd like to connect with me or comment on the show or have any queries or comments, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Helen L. O'Hara, or you can email producers at stripped.media. And I'd like to thank all the people who have made this podcast happen. Thanks to all the team at Strip Media, including Ben Williams, who edits this podcast, as well as Tom Wally, Dave Corkery and Kobe Omanaka, who have all helped produce and put this show together. Thanks also to all of my guests who have been absolutely wonderful in giving up their time to watch some Christmas films that are not always 100% great. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and others produced by Strip Media, please visit www.stripped.media to find out more. And that's it. Merry Christmas. You just heard a Stripped Media production. <laughs>